So um, I have been so very fortunate in my education to kind of have very different influences on me and my walk and my development um, as a believer and as a preacher. So when I was at Duke Divinity School, my preaching professor was an African-American Pentecostal. I'm telling you, that livened it up in the hollowed house of Duke Divinity. He had been part of the first class that integrated Duke as an undergrad and then had felt his call to, to teach and preach. And so he became one of my professors, just absolutely loved what he brought into my life on so many different levels. And then about 10 years later, I was doing some additional study at Columbia and Atlanta. And um, I had just, I mean, my preaching was changed again after 10 years or perhaps added to in my own style. I had a professor named Walter Brueggemann. And for those of you who like to write down some scholarly names, that's one of them. He is just a fabulous Old Testament scholar and um, probably one of the foremost experts on the Psalms. And I'm going to be preaching for them from the psalm this morning and um, just want you to kind of clue in to a little bit of, of how he taught us to read psalms and then, of course, how to preach it. So just keep this in mind as we go along in the sermon. Brueggemann said that all of the psalms fall into one of three categories and all three categories also find themselves in a few of the psalms. So you have psalms of orientation, this is what the world is like. And then you have psalms of disorientation, this is what happens when everything gets all mixed up, jumbled up, when creation is suffering, when armies are bearing down on us, all these sorts of things that the Hebrew people dealt with. And so we have orientation, disorientation, and then we have reorientation. This is what it looks like when God gets involved in the messiness of the world. This is what it looks like when God begins to influence some of that mess that we either create for ourselves or even out there in, in the realm of natural disasters that, that disrupt people's lives. And so there are psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation and then there are psalms that have all of that, and Psalm 46 is one of those, which I'm getting ready to read. Uh, so listen up for it and, um, and, and follow along, but it's a great way to, to study the psalms or to look at them. So if you will, please stand. I'll be reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, and it shall not be moved. God will help it. When the morning dawns, the nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the world melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord. See what desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to end on the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. 
He burns with shields of fire. But be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I'm exalted to the ends of the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, we are looking to a word from you this morning, a word that makes a difference in our lives, a word that helps us see you in our midst, no matter the circumstances, a word that envelops us spiritually and compels us physically to engage this world around us. For it's in the name of the living word that we pray. Amen. So last week I began with a bit of a quiz. This week I'm going to do so again, but don't, but don't shout out the answers this time. All right. How many stars are on the U.S. flag? Got it? Okay, got it. Can you name all 13 of the original colonies? Some of you shaking your head. Some of you, whoops, don't ask me. How do you change the Constitution? What do we do to alter that original document? It doesn't happen often, but it has happened. Who was Susan B. Anthony? All of these questions, and, and these are perhaps some of the easier questions, all of these questions are on the U.S. naturalization test. If you want to become a citizen and you are born somewhere else, you're required to go through a whole long process, and one of those steps is to take a test and pass it. And I would venture a guess there are many of us who are born here who might have some trouble with these questions. A couple, well, just this time last year, about this time last year, I went to a naturalization ceremony here in Charlotte. They have it at the um, uh, the one of the federal buildings here in Charlotte, sorry. And anyway, I went to this naturalization ceremony for a friend of mine's family, and I have to say it was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. There were people from all over the world, all cultures, all tongues, all, all races. It just was this gathered body that perhaps looked something like this kingdom of God or does look like the kingdom of God, although they were there for a different purpose. And they responded to these questions, and they took an oath of allegiance, and, and there were ceremonial papers to sign, and there were families taking pictures, and, and a patriotic video, and the whole thing was just so moving. And it reminded me, especially of this week, how grateful I am to be a part of, of this nation, how we still are, are a group of people that others want to be part of. We give thanks for this heritage, of course, this week. But I have to say, folks, as we consider some of this reality, our orientation, who we are in the world as people, perhaps, especially in this country, as we orient ourselves to this reality, we also begin to understand as believers on Christ the King Sunday that we have dual citizenship but one allegiance. We have dual citizenship. We do find ourselves in one realm and in another. But our allegiance is to Christ. 
Our allegiance is to this realm of God come on earth. Our allegiance is to the presence of God in this world. And our actions are to be part of what God is doing in and among us, through us, when we get it right. This realm that we enter into by choice. Nobody's born into it, this kingdom of God. We enter into it by choice and there are no tests. There's only confession of Christ as king. We enter into this this realm of God where there are no rights and privileges. But all stands equal at the foot of the cross. Where all are called beloved and gifted and all become part of what God is doing in this world. We enter into this realm by choice where there's only one guarantee for the future. No entitlements, no being taken care of, save the presence of God. That's the promise from beginning of time with the Hebrews up until Christ and even until our day, understanding through the power of the Spirit, the only promise is the presence of God in this world and in the next. So we're all equal. There are no rights and privileges. There are no entitlements. This world even asks of us to die to self, to give up. In and of ourselves, to let go, to deny self, to treat friend and foe alike. This is a tough place to be. This world asks of us to embrace this new identity, and it is our choice from day one and every day after. This is, this is who we are. This is our orientation. And sometimes there's a tug and a pull and, and a conflict between our citizenship in one world or another. And yet, as believers, our allegiance is to Christ. This names, this defines, this guides who we are. And it is our decision, our option, our choice by the grace of God. And then we encounter this world, we follow this pattern of the Psalms. The Hebrew nation was just like us in so many ways. God was present in their midst, particularly God was present in the promised land, Jerusalem being the capital. That was the dwelling place of God. Nobody doubted it. And so the Israelites found themselves there finally, and they wrote songs and praised God about their location. There was a very real connection between where they were externally and who they were internally. For the Jewish faith, there is no separation of physical and spiritual. The two go hand in hand, embodied by the presence of God in their midst, in their land, in the promised land, the holy city of Jerusalem, but also in and of their lives through obedience to the law and through their commitment to one another. This is a marker of identity for for, for, Jews. Jews and and in Christians it moves just a little differently no longer do we understand God being located in one city no longer is Jerusalem the sole place where God resides but rather we understand that God resides in our hearts but what connects us is this understanding of our identity being both important spiritually 
and then how that guides us to live in this physical world, in this world around us. How our faith then informs every other decision we have. How our faith then informs every other action we take based on this orientation. And so we walk hand in hand with our forebearers in the Jewish faith. And and we come to this place, as the Jews did long ago, where the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by foreign armies. Easy to say the city of Jerusalem has threat all around it. Foreign armies will continue to threaten the people of God for centuries, even up until our day. And we have this threat around us. And again, there is this very physical threat that the Jews understood, but it's spiritual as well because we're talking about Jerusalem. The holy city, as the psalmist says, the place, the residence of God. And in many ways, believers still understand that there are threats to our faithfulness. Threats around us, threats within us. And the psalmist gives us a way to begin to understand and to negotiate those threats. He did it with Israel, and he's going to do it for us. We hear these words, in the midst of our trouble... When the earth changes and the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, when the waters foam and the mountains tremble with tumult, in the midst of very real physical difficulty, very real difficulty not made by human hands, in the midst of times like these, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. The other threat comes not from the physical world necessarily, but by human hands and decisions. The psalmist names it, the nations are in an uproar. Sound familiar? The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter and God utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord is still with us even when the choices we make, even when the choices around us by those in authority, even within those choices, God is still with us. This is our testimony. And this is our witness. Whether the earth shakes or the the sea roars, whether nations are rising up against nation and kingdoms totter, in all of these circumstances, we believe as the people of God in this world of disorientation, we are brought back into a new orientation, a new way of being by our faith, by our belief that God's got this. The messes of our own making and the messes far beyond our control. Be still, the psalmist says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I am exalted even to the ends of the earth. No mind the threat that is out there. Physical, spiritual, what have you. No mind the threat that is out there. God will be our refuge and our strength, our help in a time of trouble. Therefore, people of God, we have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to act out of fear. We have no reason to to, to hunker down and and to cover our heads and to keep ourselves separate and away out of a means of protection. We have no reason 
For we are promised God's presence here and now. We are promised God's presence both in this very real and tangible world as well as God's presence deep within our souls, in our hearts, in our residence, our allegiance. Guides us to encounter this world around us and to make a difference. To make a difference because that's what the people of God do. From Abraham with Abraham's covenant. You people of God, we people of God are blessed to be a blessing. Our goal is not to control the authorities or the governments or what have you. Our goal is to live into a new reality governed by God. And empowered and ordered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we have to offer. This is how we both acknowledge the threats that are around us that are oh so real. But also how we give testimony to the fact that we shall not be afraid. For God is our strength and God is our refuge and we have no reason to fear. When people are afraid, they don't behave well. We lash out. We accuse, we point fingers. But as God's people, even when threat is around us, we have no reason to fear. Charlotte, here's one threat. Charlotte, in cities of like size, is the ranks 50 in the ability for a child born into poverty to get out of poverty. But that's, that's physical and that's spiritual. That's a threat to our community and that's a call upon the people of God to act in the interest of our highest allegiance, Jesus Christ. Fifty! We're entering into a season that should be joyful and, and, and hopeful and, and where we should focus really on that birth of the Christ child and the anticipated presence of God being with us, Emmanuel. And yet this becomes the most consumer-driven time of the year possible. And people begin to spend money they don't have, and we want to uh, keep up with the Joneses, and we, we know we can't buy love, and yet we want to get just one more present for those whom we love. This is a threat. And it's tangible, and it's spiritual, spiritual. And we opt out and back into our allegiance. We reorient ourselves by the power of God's spirit to know that our highest allegiance calls for none of that. None of this buying and overspending. It's a threat. Driven perhaps by one culture in which we reside. But it's not where our hearts lie, God help us. Another threat we face, and, and Kyle mentioned it, we, we, this time of year of friends and families, this time of year that can be so hopeful, can also become a time of year when people begin to feel isolated. When people begin to separate themselves from others, perhaps depression gets heightened, perhaps addiction grows stronger. Perhaps the loss of a loved one becomes all the more compounded when we realize they're not going to be at our table ever again and our spirits are weighed down 
And it's a threat. It has physical implications. It has spiritual implications. Just as this realm that we live in understands. Jesus Christ, the living word, brought it together. Right? Jesus Christ, the living word, understood that body and soul are valuable. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of it. Another threat is that the people of God to whom God offered this wondrous creation, this place, this earth in which we dwell, we were called to, to take care of it. We are to be stewards of it. God has entrusted it to us. It's threatened. And that's not just a physical issue. It's a spiritual one. Where is our allegiance? How is it that we are called to live in this realm of God where we don't have domination over the earth but dominion? And those are two very different realities. Dominion suggests care, stewardship, love. God has given us this physical world and how we respond to it has implications that come forth from our soul, our roots, within our souls. Though the mountains shake, though the, though the waters roar, though nation goes against nation, though these threats all around us are present and real, though these threats all around us are physical and spiritual, God is our strength and our refuge. And that comes back to the good news that or reorients our lives. That brings us back to the good news, which is hope, which is anticipation. The good news that God has left us here to be part of the solution. To be part of what God wants to continue to do in this world that God loves so much he gave his only son. A child that would become king. A child who still lives and moves and breathes and causes us to do the same through the power of his spirit. I love the Psalms because the poetry is beautiful. The language that is used is beautiful. And really, these are lyrics. These are words that were sung in worship to teach the people the faith, to teach the people what it means to be a gathered body, compelled by God, indwelled by God in a very real and tangible way. And I love this one verse, this one verse. I've yet to read it, so listen up. I'm not going to repeat myself. This is huge, and I just love it. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. Folks, we're talking about Jerusalem. There is a river that runs through the holy city of God. Guess what? There is no river. Literally in Jerusalem. There is no body of water. Jerusalem is smack dab in the middle of a dry desert. Barren. Desert. Jerusalem has no hope save the presence of God. And the poetry names it, there is a river that runs through the city of Jerusalem that makes glad the city of God. This is where God dwells and it makes all the difference for the people who live in God's realm. 
A river runs through the city of God, giving life, giving possibility, giving options. The river runs through the city and the city is made glad because the people recognize God in their midst. They know there's no other way. They know, save God, there is no water. They know, save God, the earth would just shrivel up and die. They know, save God, they would still be wandering around in the wilderness. We know, save God, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are claimed and called and asked to live otherwise. To ask to dwell, to, we've been asked to dwell in this place where God makes all the difference. Physically, in presence, spiritually, in body, and soul. I thank God that he is so gracious and so willing and so trusting that he sees fit to run right through this city, spiritually, physically, and to call upon us to be part of the solution of whatever it is that threatens this world. May God help us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you have tall expectations of us, big plans. You're running through our lives, giving life in our souls, giving life in our midst. And as those called Christian, you expect us to walk in that same way to reorient our lives where once we might feel threatened and, and wishing to hunker down, to separate and be distinct. God, you calls us to be that which gives life to the world around us. Help us, God, help us to be faithful, to follow, to be good citizens in your world. For it's in the name of Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen. Though we live in this world, this nation for which there are no tests, no entrance exams, all there is is confession as Christ as King. And we make that confession today. We're called upon to make it tomorrow and every day hereafter so that we may be part of the solution to all the threats around us so that we may be those who offer life in the midst of a desert, spiritual or physical. Christ is King. Amen.